you know, you always need to be out there selling. Like you cannot stop and you have to really value doing that. If you are one who sees it as a necessary evil, probably entrepreneurship long-term is not a great fit for you. Hi, Brianna. Super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Oh, thank you, Samuel. I'm very excited to be here. Most certainly. Well, every entrepreneur has some interesting story of how they become entrepreneurs, right? They go through some sort of a pivotal moment in their life and decides to go start something. I was looking over your career journey on your LinkedIn. I saw you worked at some corporate jobs at GE, worked at Motorola and a lot of other organizations. And then you decided to start this consulting company and you've been at it for 20 some years. So I'm sure there's some really interesting stories behind how you got started. So can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey? Happy to. It's interesting. My journey is very much an accidental one. I didn't intentionally set out to become an entrepreneur. Although I think in a key piece of the story is that I come from an entrepreneurial family and that has important relevance that I'll come back to in a second, but just to kind of lay the groundwork here. So I was working at Daytex Omeda that made anesthesia machines and ventilators. I was working in a really great team there and it was kind of a contract to hire type of situation where I'd been brought in to work on the team for a few months months if everything worked out well, you know, I would get a full-time job. Well, a couple months into working at that position, the GE Medical purchased uh, Detexameda. And the team that I was working in was a very strategic-based team. We were looking at how to basically grow the company into new verticals. So it was very strategic, very much, you know, kind of filled my soul, if you will. And then when GE Medical purchased them, they said, hey, we want you to become a usability specialist. And it was like, that was very very tactical, especially, you know, 20 plus years ago at this point in time. Mm. And so the idea of accepting the usability specialist position felt kind of suffocating to my spirit. Mm. And then simultaneously, my now husband, but we were dating back then, was back in Chicago. I was living up in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. But I'm originally from the East Coast. So it was kind of like, you know, there's really no business in me staying in the Midwest if this relationship isn't going to work out. So I'm going to go back to Chicago kind of see if I can get my life together essentially. And if not, I'm going to move back to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So I came back to Chicago and within three weeks, ended up landing a contract position at Abraham Amor LaSalle Bank. And that kind of took the heat off. I had only about $200 in my bank account at that moment in time. So I had high needs to make money. But then, you know, I started working that job. I started continuing to explore other full-time opportunities. And then nothing seemed to be a real great fit in the context of the interviews. And I would mm -hmm. be very candid about the fact that, you know, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but you know, this isn't a really great fit for me because of X, Y, and Z. And the people that I was interviewing with also agreed with my assessment, but I think also were taken back by the level of candor in those mm -hmm. moments. And so what ended up happening is that they then started calling me to become a vendor of the company for a mm. project, you know? And so I just started getting more and more work this way. And finally, about eight months into that journey, I found the job that had kind of like checked off on everything that I was hoping for from it. And then I came home from the interview and I was incredibly depressed. And I realized in that moment that in the eight months that it had taken me to find that job, I had actually come to really appreciate all that I was learning and how exponentially I was growing as an entrepreneur. And so the idea of going back to only have to do my craft felt as suffocating as it did, you know, for that usability job before. And so it was at that point that I said, all right, 
I am just going to accept the fact that I have a company now, start really embracing it as a company. And that was nearly 20 years ago. So we'll celebrate our 20th anniversary on September 10th. Congratulations. And you mentioned you had a little bit of that entrepreneurial background family. So you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, happy to. So, you know, here I am. I'm 23 years old at this point in time. So like really young. I'm going in and I'm selling my services to large corporations. Like now how that actually even really happened, you know, clearly it felt like this is what I was meant to do, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because for how easily the doors opened, like now in my career, I'm like, how did that even happen? But mm-hmm. it did. And so, but the important piece of it is then when I, you know, called home and I said, Hey mom and dad, this is what I'm going to do. You know, they didn't say, what are, are you crazy, Brianna? You know, rather that they were like, oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, you go for it, Brianna. And and then my boss at, at Daytex Ameda, he also was a very self-made man. And so when I came in and I said, all right, this is what I think I'm going to do. He was like, you've got this, Brianna. You can totally do this. And so all the normal where people would be like, you're 23 years old, you know, like just go play the safe route. Nobody in my life was saying that. Everybody was just like, yeah, you, you can do this. And so it never even crossed my mind that I couldn't do it. It was just a matter of like, I just had to keep, you know, opening the doors and keep kind of, you know, going through the doors that would be open for me. Yeah, I think entrepreneurs are the ones that kind of create their own destiny a little bit, right? Like they see possibilities when other people run away seeing challenges. And I think you're definitely one of those people who are doing re- you know, interviews and realize like this isn't the path that I want to take and you kind of wanted to create your own destiny for sure. That's pretty much an interesting story. Were there any other pivotal moment after you started in terms of how you were getting going? Yeah, there were. So there was, I mean, so I, I mentioned that my very first contract was with AB and Amarillo South Bank. And I did a number of projects for them in the first like maybe three or four years of the company before they were purchased by Bank of America. And it was a really great partnership with the clients and the team that I was working with. So at one point in time, they came to me and they said, you know, would you consider coming in full time? And I probably would have at that mm-hmm. point in time because I really did enjoy them. And I, when I started out, I didn't have any intention. I mean, it wasn't like I want to be an entrepreneur. Like I wasn't necessarily defining myself as that at this moment in time. I just knew that mm-hmm. I was growing and valuing where I was at that moment, but it wasn't necessarily, this is the forever. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately said no to that opportunity largely because I don't know if I was married at that point in time or not, but I was in that stage and that Mm -hmm. meant that we were going to be spending some time in Brazil. And so I knew that that was going to be coming down the pike and that I still wanted to have the flexibility to be making money while we were living in Brazil. So I ultimately said no, just from a lifestyle perspective. And then I think there was a pivotal moment in terms of just thinking about who are my clients. So when I first started out, you know, I would partner with some other practitioners to do work. You know, I was getting direct work with larger corporations, you know, largely initially fueled through that, you know, search for a job that I mentioned at the beginning. But then it got to the point where, you know, when I was subcontracting with others, I didn't have as much control over my time and the shiftings of schedules and the implications of that to the workload. But as my book of business was growing, I needed to have that level of flexibility and control that, you know, having holding the client relationship would enable me. And so at some point I had to make the decision not to engage in those types of partnerships anymore and be really fully focused on more direct to client relationships. 
-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I still will partner with people here and there, but it's much more my strategy is going direct to the client and owning the client relationship in that process. Mm -hmm. So obviously you've had pretty, you know, early on you had success in terms of acquiring customers. You were starting to build a book of business like you described, even with some of the partnership, and then you decided to kind of go direct to end customers. What were some of the setbacks that you faced? What were some of the other challenges that came along as you were trying to build a, a consulting practice? Yeah, so it's really interesting. I mean, I think probably in terms of the growth journey, if you will, like, you know, we grew pretty much every year for... I don't know, probably the first maybe seven years, mm -hmm. if you will. I guess there was a, there was a bit of a, of a blip when we, in 2007. 2007 is when we diversified into Brazil, mm -hmm. which is when the U.S. went through a recession. And so the U.S. side of the business took a big hit. But in 2008, the Brazilian side of the business actually grew, which was mm -hmm. good. So that allowed us to stay in business because mm -hmm. if not, probably in 2007, 2008, we may have ended up folding if that diversification had not happened. But up to that point, and then from like 2009 until about 2014-15, we kind of grew consistently every year. And then in 2014-15, we shrunk to 50% of what we were the previous mm -hmm. year. And it was a really challenging time because it was like, what is going on? And there was a lot of things going on. The market was changing, but there was a lot that was going on with me personally, I think. Mm -hmm. That was a big contributor of it. So I had had a baby in 2011. And so, you know, a couple years into that process and the pivot moment that I had is I realized that I wasn't doing some of the key behaviors. And I'll tell you about like, kind of like the big aha light bulb moment for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, it was probably back in 2016, maybe. I had gone to like some networking event and chatting with a guy there and he had told me about this book, The Go-Giver. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool book. And he was like, yeah, you know, I recommend it to everybody. And I was like, oh, that, that's interesting. I'll have to check that out. You know, put it on my book list, but you know how those go, right? Mm -hmm. Like you put it there, you may never actually take action <laughs> on it. <laughs> But then, so this is like on like a Thursday or a Friday afternoon. On Monday morning, we always have a team meeting. And one of my team members that Monday morning comes in and hands me the Go-Giver book. She was not part of this conversation. I did not tell her about this conversation at all. But it was just like, why? And, and it's not like she was in a habit of giving me books frequently, mm -hmm. right? But it's, it was like, how is it that you are giving me a book and this book specifically? And she's like, you know, I was at a yard sale over the weekend and this woman had like 10, 12 copies of this go-giver book. Mm. So I started asking her about the book and she's like, and as she's telling me about the book, I'm like, this is how Brianna lives her life. Mm -hmm. So I bought you the book. And I was like, all right, Lord, clearly I'm supposed to read this book. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I actually read the book. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the five principles of giving. And so four is about how you give of yourself. And the fifth is about being open to receive. But after I read that book, I realized that after I had my daughter, my posture towards the world around me had changed. Mm -hmm. I was not giving of myself as freely and as generously as I normally would and not within specifically not outside of my inner circle. So when it came to my family, yes. When it came to my, you know, team members and my immediate friends, yes, but not the broader community, both personally and professionally. And so the big aha was like, oh my gosh, I have not basically, 
I have not banked enough goodwill, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. Like, I need to change this. Like, this is not the way that I want to be living. And so at that moment in time, I decided I am going to give away one whole day a week. Hmm. I'm just going to go downtown. Whoever wants to talk to me and wants to meet, you know, like be at the merchandise mart, I'll travel around to them, but I'm going to go downtown one day a week. And that is open to just mentorship for other people, kind of being a sounding board, what, you know, whatever they need, basically. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, everything started changing. It was Hmm. like almost instantaneous. Like this trend started going upwards right from that point. And it really just reoriented to me to what, I mean, first of all, just how I feel better in the world around mm-hmm. me, but then really reoriented me around how I need to be giving and sort of, you know, leading with that servant uh, leadership attitude. But that was a huge pivot point. And now we've grown every year since. So that's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like if you had a downturn in your business, you're almost immediately thinking about, I need to move into more of a sales function. I have to do prospecting. I have to go find people who can use my service. I'm not going to go spend one day a week wasting my time. In some sense, it might appear as if, right, you were going and, you know, taking away your valuable billable hours to go give free consultation to people. I mean, that's got to be a big mind shift almost in some perspective. It is. And in a lot of ways, like, so my husband works with me. He does all the back end support functions. <laughs> and at that time, he's like, you're crazy, Brianna. You cannot do this. Like, you are you're crazy. And not only this, but like, you've got, you know, a three-year-old at home and like, come on. And so it was this point of real rub between us for a long while until mm-hmm. we started to really see the fruits of that coming back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, today I don't go downtown every one day a week, but I still give generously of my time to others, you know, do a lot of mentorship with people who are, you know, either students or sort of, you know, kind of trying to make career moves for themselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of sounding boards for other entrepreneurs, certainly a lot of consultation with our clients, both personally and professionally with whatever they're going through. So, and this is of course, on top of really nurturing and fostering the growth of my own team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see on your LinkedIn too, you have like a couple of advisory board roles uh, also listed there. Yeah. So I think, you know, going back to what you said, I think you said, you know, the, the growing consulting practice, you navigated some uncertainty, especially during that 2007, eight years. That's actually kind of funny that you shared that because my brother and I started our business in 2006. We were completely naive. Mm-hmm. We did not even know anything about economic downturn. And then we found out, oh, sure, there's... <laughs> There's a thing called an economic downturn and it's not really the best time to start a business. Uh, but that's, that's you know, the, you know, I guess ignorance is sometimes bliss. But I think you said you had diversified at the time because you actually had a business operation in Brazil that helped you. But obviously there's been a couple of other turns, right? Like you had that 2015 experience and then almost all of us actually had to deal with some, some sort of an uncertainty during 2020. So how have you prepared since then to deal with uncertainty and how has that helped you during times like COVID and other economic incidents? Well, so another thing that happened in that downturn time of 2015, 2016 is I wouldn't say I was a thriving entrepreneur. So like I was successful, I was making good money. I was, you know, making good impact with my clients, but I personally was not necessarily feeling like I was thriving as an individual. I was mm-hmm. exhausted all the time. You know, of course I had a young child at time too, but I was very much leading my business with pushing energy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so 
around that same time, and I had been working with various mentors throughout the year for myself. I mean, I think I started investing in business mentorship for myself probably about 2010, maybe. But in like around the 2015, 2016 time period, I was like, you know, I'm feeling like I need a change from a business mentorship perspective. And so I found a business mentor who takes a very spiritual, you know, kind of approach to business. Mm -hmm. And so I started diving into that. And that really then ended up focusing me around, you know, really getting centered and grounded from an inner space mm -hmm. to then have more of that outward confidence and, you know, additional sort of capacity, resilience, et cetera. And so the specific business mentoring program that I'm in is for highly sensitive entrepreneurs. And so basically as a highly sensitive person, which I am, like your nervous system actually takes in stimuli from the outside and processes it very differently than other people. And there's about 20% of the population that's, you know, highly sensitive mm -hmm. with sort of this different wiring of a nervous system. And so what that means is that you take on anxiety at, at a higher rate, you know, sort of like discomfort, like a lot of different things. And so you, you need to really learn how to process and manage your energy. And so that's what I really started doing in 2016-ish you know, is like really understanding how to manage energy that then, you know, I could not hold on to, you know, either other people's energy that was not positive or sort of the negative energies that I might be creating on my own, but rather I could have them pass through my body and then neutralize them, mm -hmm. if you will. So that was really important because then that helped me to kind of create these tools and then in 2016, I lost my mother, which is a really, it was very sudden, you know, she passed away of a major heart attack. That really, there was some really interesting things that happened to me where, you know, sort of the space between heaven and earth became very, very thin mm -hmm. and with her passing. And that made it become like, wow, you know, what is what is really heaven all about, you know? And I started to kind of dive a little bit deeper in that. And I always believed in God, but I didn't necessarily have a relationship with God and Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I started to kind of dive into that a little bit more. And then and, you know, I found a lot of solace and, you know, again, more of that centeredness, more of the, you know, surrender. And then in 2020, I lost my father. And that, again, that was like a turbo charge of, you know, basically connecting with the Lord and then kind of moving back. So all of these things together have kind of brought me to some pretty core practices that I do on a daily basis mm -hmm. that really support you know, kind of the resilience, despite whatever might be happening, whether it's COVID or, you know, just challenging business season or whatever it may be, you know, those core practices are pretty extensive for me. Mm -hmm. Would you mind elaborating on what some of those practices are that has helped you? Yeah, I'm happy to. So, I mean, basically every Monday through Friday, every morning, I usually get up somewhere between 5, 530. And I spend basically at least an hour journaling. And so usually it starts with, you know, basically giving thanks to God for, you know, a few things that have happened the day before. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, asking for guidance or direction on specific things that might be coming up for me in that day. It's about praying for people who are part of my life that I want to lift up in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And then I read a piece of scripture and then I ask for 
for God's guidance and how I meant to really put that into my day for that day. And then I actually put that guidance that I get into a tracker. Mm-hmm. And then I come back at the end of the day and I say, what did I do to actually take action on, you know, what guidance I was given that day? And then I end the session asking for basically guidance on where am I meant to spend my time that day? And mm-hmm. that, that's where I sort of get my to-do list <laughs> for the day. And then that's down to the tactical to-do list. Like, mm-hmm. you know, basically be on Samuel's podcast today, right? Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> get to that to-do list. And so that's how I spend, you know, basically Monday through Friday for the first hour of my day. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the week, you know, either on Saturday, usually on Saturday morning, I then sit down and I just kind of do an assessment of the week Mm -hmm. of like what worked really well that week, what didn't work so well, and then what might I want to change the next week or, Mm -hmm. you know, the next time that comes around. And then I take whatever actions that come out of that do differently section and then operationalize that for future times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like you want to fill your jar first before you actually go drain, right? And uh, feed others, right? So I think especially with your heart of wanting to serve, you said earlier, right? You need to be filling yourself up so that you're not operating out of emptiness. And then obviously you talked about a little bit about your faith and and certainly seems like faith has a big impact on your life and then how you obviously run your business. So what are some practical ways the faith has played a big role in how you take care of employees, take care of customers and how you run your business with a high level of integrity? Yeah, so I'm really trying to do life with God, you know, and so what that means is really trying to plug into the moments of tension or frustration of ick in some form or fashion, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, related to that business mentoring that I was talking about, like, you know, once every, you know, four to six months or sort of, you know, could just kind of take stock of growth that Mm -hmm. has happened. And so in this last quarter, you know, what kind of came through for me at that point in time was kind of, I would have been noting it as sort of like different truths for myself. So one is that when I'm connected, when I feel connected to my community, I feel healthier overall. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's one of them, this notion that everything happens for a purpose and a reason, even if we don't know it as, you know, those moments of tension and stress are happening. And then the third point being, even in the hardest times, you can still find beauty and magic. Mm -hmm. Like, and so with that recollection, then what I've started to do is that when I feel those moments of, you know, despair Mm -hmm. or those moments of, I'm not sure what to do, or I'm frustrated, or I'm feeling defeated in some form or fashion, Mm -hmm. like basically use those three truths. I've turned them into three questions. Mm -hmm. that then I go into conversation with God about Mm -hmm. to say, you know, I'd like your guidance and thoughts here, like, you know, related to this situation, how am I meant to lean in with greater connection here? And then Mm -hmm. just see what comes through. Right. And in what way, (laughs) you know, I understand that this is happening for a reason and a purpose. What guidance can you offer to Mm -hmm. me related to this? And then where am I meant to see the beauty and the magic? in this situation. And, you know, sometimes there's insight across all three of those questions. Sometimes it's only across one of those three questions. But I think I've always in those moments in the past, you know, quarter or so since I've been using these questions, I always come away from those sessions, not feeling as frustrated or defeated or whatever the the feeling was going in. 
I feel mm -hmm. more uplifted in some capacity and with a constructive next step in the process. Mm -hmm. And the reality is this, I mean, our company has hired a lot to work with organizations who the projects themselves are pretty charged. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're oftentimes very like, there's a lot of mixed opinions related to them. There could be a lot of, you know, sort of executive leadership eyes upon those projects. And by nature of that, there's always a lot of tension that you're navigating. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just the natural tension of growth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, it has more of a mean spirit than that, but I'm constantly dealing with tension, you know, in that capacity. And so mm -hmm. really being able to lean into those questions to really not get swept up into those tensions, mm -hmm. but really try to stay centered and grounded in the midst of them, if you will. Yeah. It seems like you said your, your personality type that actually takes a lot of things personal very quickly and, and you're super sensitive. And then to be off in the business where you are obviously helping people as they're dealing with internal strives and tension, it could be extremely challenging for sure. So obviously you're in this consulting space, you have Fortune 500 companies as customers. You obviously have some track record of success. You've been in business for 20 some years. So why do company, you know, why do big organizations comes to you? Yeah, so big organizations come to us to really help them figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. So we sit at the intersection of market research, user experience, and strategy, mm -hmm. and sort of our best fit projects, you know, fit within sort of those three disciplines together. And what it looks like is we support organizations to kind of look at where and how might they enhance their brand. So, you know, where, what is their value proposition compared to other, you know, similar companies in the market or similar products in the market? Or if it's a situation where maybe they have like, you know, multiple SKUs of the same type of thing and they're trying to figure out, should we keep all of these in our portfolio or should we, you know, be slimming back in some form or fashion? The second area is really around filling innovation pipelines. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, looking at what is the next gen product that you put into the market or maybe developing a wholly new product that doesn't exist today. Mm -hmm. We also support organizations to really think about what's the sustainable you know, process of innovation for their organization, and then really supporting leaders, cross-functional leaders across an organization to really gain alignment around you know, what actions of growth they're going to be taking. Mm -hmm. Obviously entrepreneurs and business leaders are full of ideas and always have crazy things they wanna execute on. So when it comes to innovation pipeline, is that always a challenge for big organizations that they just don't have enough innovations happening? Or is it just that there's just too many ideas to go after and crystallizing which ones to focus? It's a little bit of both, actually. So, you know, when you're thinking about innovation, you want to be thinking about managing the innovation continuum. So mm -hmm. you're obviously always looking at kind of what's immediately coming, going to be happening. And that might be a more of like an optimization aspect. But then you also want to be looking more further out to, you know, what are some things that are going to stretch the organization beyond kind of what its core competencies are today? You know, so how might you extend into additional adjacencies or how might you be able to take the equity that you have and even bring it into another whole area that maybe isn't part of your business today? So I think about it like an innovation portfolio. So you have to be managing that full innovation portfolio. And so resource constraints become uh, come into play, both from a personnel perspective, as well as just like an actual budgetary perspective of what are you going to put your energy towards? But then a big piece of it too, is just the, the personal dynamics underneath that innovation. Cause you know, everybody wants to transform, but nobody wants to change. 
right? But you have to go through the process of change to get to the transformation. Mm -hmm. And so there's that needing to live through the discomfort that goes through that process. And I think that that's one area where our organization really excels is really supporting people to go through that. You know, I have a number of clients who have said, you know, Brianna, you have like this ability to sort of give us a hug and a kick at the pants <laughs> at exactly the same time. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's kind of like the coach, right? Like sometimes you said you, you needed that personal coach in terms of growing you as a leader, growing you as an entrepreneur, and they need that external partner that come alongside and actually help them. So obviously any, any business, especially in the consulting business, is all about client relationships and obviously just being able to continue to create value and provide that. What are some ways you've been able to do that? Obviously you have some frameworks and things that you've done, but are there some other tangible ways that you've done that? It doesn't matter what the service they may provide. They can actually have much more meaningful relationship to, to retain customers for the long term. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think the biggest thing is really, truly living into the value of partnership. You know, there's a lot of organizations who throw around the idea of like, I want to be a partner with you, but don't necessarily put the actions behind that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that we certainly as an organization strive to do for our clients, but it's also something that they recognize as uniquely different in terms of how we sort of work with them compared to other vendors of a similar like within their organization. One client said to me once, it's like, you know, you really collaborate with us. You don't collaborate at us like mm -hmm. most other partners that we work with. And so, you know, people talk about, you know, us being an extension to their team, really feeling that, which to me just that's indicative of what we're trying to create because a lot of, I think, the value that we provide to, you know, some of our longstanding clients, like we have clients that we've worked with for, you know, 15, 18 years now. Mm -hmm. And so... And, you know, for some of the clients that we might have done, you know, 50 or 60 projects with, like there's aspects of their business that because we've touched so many different parts of their business, you know, myself and other members of my team have a whole breadth of understanding of their capabilities. Whereas mm -hmm. like different teams that we're working with, they have a much deeper understanding of the vertical that we're operating in at that moment in time, but they may not have awareness of all these other capabilities that they could tap into. And so I think like that level of partnership and sort of understanding across the organization also provides just this really powerful ability to make connections that maybe wouldn't be there otherwise. And I really value when those kind of come to bear in a conversation. Yeah. And obviously as a consulting company, a lot of it is billable hours and you have to look in, in terms of like, oh, is that billable? Is that, am I getting compensated for it? So how do you think outside of that sort of a mentality especially if you're trying to build partnership and not just have that vendor relationship. Well, it goes back to that go-giver philosophy that I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's about really not getting hung up on the billable hours. Now, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're not going to get walked all over. So, I mean, mm -hmm. there's, you got to feel good about it, but it's really about embracing the go-giver philosophy and mm -hmm. how I posture to the world and how my team does and recognizing that it'll come back mm -hmm. at some point and not being focused on so much the now, but being more focused on the bigger picture. 
Certainly giving, giving, giving. I think uh, Gary Vee also talks about in his book, kind of a similar concept as well. So you're an entrepreneur, especially a female entrepreneur. That's obviously a very, comes with a unique set of challenges. What are some challenges you experienced being a women owned business and having to, you know, obviously build and grow and be at a level that you are today? What are some challenges you faced uh, uh, specifically from that perspective? You know, it's interesting. I get asked this frequently and you know, certainly there are definitely challenges. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't spend a lot of time focused on the challenges. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time focused on what am I just going to do? And I feel like in, a, in our world to get today, a lot of people spend a lot of time in that space of victimization. And I really loathe that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And I know, I mean, I have definitely experienced, you know, where people underestimate me because I'm a female or because I'm blonde or my voice is high pitched. And, you know, I've been in those situations. I've even had people who say, oh, you know, so-and-so told me like, don't underestimate her. You're gonna underestimate her but don't underestimate her and i don't like hearing those things you know it's like oh, damn really mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time it's like that's what it is so i just like you know if i walk into a room or i'm in a situation and people are like and i know that that's the energy that's being projected at me i sort of tell myself just give them 10 minutes mm -hmm. then they'll know why you're here yeah I think you reminded me of a session that you and I were together at the GLS. Candeliza Rise actually shared something very similar. Yes. When she goes into big meetings with uh, officials, they kind of like, are you in the right room? Because we didn't expect <laughs> you to be here. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> someone actually told her to go get a cup of coffee or something. They thought she was like an intern or something. So, but I think she had a, a very good way of dealing with it. That was very appreciated. So obviously there's a lot of people that listen to, right? Like some of them are, you know, aspiration to become an entrepreneur has great ideas, uh, but don't know how to get started. What advice would you give someone like that? Yeah. So I think there's a couple things that I think as an entrepreneur, you've got to figure out if it works for you. So I think as an entrepreneur, your life has a lot more flexibility, but it has a lot less predictability. And so... You know, some people are okay with that and some people aren't, you know? So I don't know about you, Samuel, but it feels like every time I'm about ready to go on vacation, like Something all cool. this new work comes through the door. <laughs> you know, it's like my, my one friend of mine always said, if you're slow in business, just plan a vacation because three days before <laughs> is when all the leads are gonna come through the door, right? And I think that that's so true because that's when now it's like, you know, you can't then just go off and be on the beach. You still have to respond to mm -hmm. to those new leads that are coming in. Whereas, you know, if I was working for somebody else, I'd be like, bye, I'll mm -hmm. see you when I get back. Yes. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot less, uh, you know, predictability from that. But at the same time, from a flexibility standpoint, like when my daughter was born, she had uh, torticollis. So we had to do some really extensive physical therapy when mm -hmm. she was real young. And it meant that I was away from the office a fair amount during the day to mm -hmm. be able to be part of that physical therapy. If I worked for somebody else at that point in time, that probably would have made a dent in my career pathway. But because of, you know, being in business for myself, it didn't really have an impact. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, 
I could just work later. I just, you know, client just knew I wasn't available for them, but they in their mind thought I was available for five other clients, you know, mm -hmm. it just sort of made me more valuable, if you will, mm -hmm. right? So there, I think the predictability versus flexibility is a piece of it. And then I think, you know, you always need to be out there selling. Like you cannot stop and you have to really value doing that. So some people see it as like the necessary evil. If you are one who sees it as a necessary evil, probably entrepreneurship long-term is not a great fit for you. But if you see it as, you know, because I, you know, and some people see selling as icky, I see it as serving. You know, I get to serve and support somebody else to achieve and accomplish their goals. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to engage in those conversations because I want to hear what their challenges are. We're, if we're well suited to support them, great. If not, I might know somebody else who can. But you really have to kind of be, you have to always be in that mode. And it's challenging when you're first starting out because it's a very different mindset to be like, in the outreach mode versus the doing mode, but you can't be in one mode versus the other. Otherwise you have a ton of peaks and valleys in your business mm -hmm. and it's really hard to sustain it long-term. Most certainly. And I think as an entrepreneur, we're always in the prospecting mode for sure. We always see opportunities. So obviously you've been at this business for a long time. You have a lot of life lessons uh, that you learned along the way. Knowing what you know today, what would you tell the younger Brianna? I, I would tell the younger Brianna, thank goodness you were so young and naive. <laughs> <laughs> because if I were not so young and naive back then, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have started the business. Mm -hmm. But now I am so thankful that I have because mm -hmm. I love the reinvention that's possible. You know, like the aspect of continually reinventing yourself, continually reinventing what you offer to your clients, like, and basically having full control over that. Uh, I really value that. And mm -hmm. so as an entrepreneur, I'm in full control of when and how I do that. Mm -hmm. Well, what a great way to end our conversation, Brian. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with my audience. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been just a true joy. Awesome. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.